0: life is complex life is hard life is hard and there are often no simple fixes to things as a result we need to wait each week we've been reminded that advent is a season of waiting designed to cultivate our awareness of god's actions past present and future in our lives we hope for resolution to, to our many struggles Depending upon your season of life, each one of you has some cares right now. In the ebbs and flows of life, some of you are carrying very heavy burdens right now. In the Advent season, we celebrate the Savior who was coming and who has now come. Before Jesus was born, the Israelites were waiting for their Savior. Today, we are waiting for our Savior to return a second time. As I make this connection between us and Israel 2,000 years ago, I want to focus on how we wait. Of course, there's waiting for exciting things like a new job, the birth of a child, or the advent of our Savior. And there's also waiting for resolution to the hard things in our life. Today, I'll focus primarily on waiting during the tough times, because as we wait better during the tough times, the good times will come along with it. In the Old Testament, the people there had plenty of their own struggles. Their struggles looked different, but they would have felt exactly the same to them as our struggles do to us. They were waiting for relief. They were waiting for the promised Savior. And they were asking, how long, O Lord, and who will it be? The Israelites were waiting for their Savior who would reverse the curse of sin. They were waiting for a Savior who would deal with their sin as well as the deadly effects of sin in the world. The Israelites were living lives that were just like ours, full of joys and happiness, and full of struggles, grief, pain, hardship, and fear. Jesus acknowledges this struggle in John sixteen thirty three. He says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That statement is only helpful if we know who Jesus is. Last week we heard Charlie help us understand who Jesus is. He reminded us that our Savior is wonderful, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. He also reminded us that Jesus was fully God while also being fully human, so that, like we are, so that He can sympathize with our weaknesses and our struggles. Let's return to Charlie's verse in Isaiah 9, 6-7 for a moment. Isaiah 9, 6-7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God promises to establish his kingdom and the blessings of peace and righteousness that go with it. He will establish the kingdom and uphold it forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Go online, look, I looked up Merriam-Webster, and they define zeal as eagerness and ardent interest in pursuit of something, fervor. The Lord pursues his work on earth with eagerness and ardent interest. The problem is that we gathered here do not often have eyes to comprehend that zeal while we are waiting. We can be tempted to think that God is distant or that our struggles are meaningless, and we can become weary. Please turn your Bibles to Genesis 12, verse 1. In this Advent series, Tyler has already visited Abraham, and I want to take us back there. I want to look at the promise made to Abraham and how he reacted. In Genesis 12, God called Abram. Genesis 12, 1-4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who d- dishonors you I will curse. And in, all, in, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, and as the Lord had told him, And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram was given a promise. He trusted that promise and acted in obedience to it. God promised to bless Abram by making him the father of many nations. But did you realize that God also promised Abram, that God also blessed Abram by making him wait? As we look at Abram's story, we're going to see him wait. The promises of God do not come to him immediately. God has a purpose in Abram's waiting. About five years later, in Genesis 13, God reiterated his promise to Abram. Again, in obedience, Abram moved his tent and built an altar to worship the Lord. Turn ahead to Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. After about four more years or so had passed, so now nine years since the original promise, the Lord appeared to Abram again. Now we see Abram ask God a question that we can all relate to. Abram's being very practical after nine years, and he's wondering, is it him, and is it now? Genesis 15, one through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. There are a couple of things different about this passage. In Genesis 12 and 13, the Lord made a promise to Abram, and Abram offered no questions, but physically acted in obedience. Here, in Genesis 15, after nine years Abram asked God how the promise was going to come about because the evidence that he was seeing did not seem to lead to the conclusion of God's promise being fulfilled. As God reassured Abram that Eleazar was not to be the fulfillment of God's promise, Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's interesting that earlier when Abram moved from his homeland to a strange land, God did not count that as righteousness, nor five years later when Abram moved his tent and worshipped God, that also is not counted as righteousness. But nine years of waiting have had a purpose so far and have strengthened Abram's faith in God. And at this point, after Abram's question, God counts it as righteousness. Unfortunately, about a year later, no doubt there was weariness in the waiting, and Sarai and Abram take matters into their own hands with Sarai's servant, Hagar. In Genesis sixteen two, Sarai had determined that it was too late for her to have children anymore. And she said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. We know that wasn't God's plan. But it felt to them that it was now too late for God to fulfill his promise to Abram through Sarai. Note, though, that they still trusted God, that Abram would have a son, but they turned to their, turned their focus to their own means of accomplishing God's promise. So in Genesis 16, verses 15 and 16, it says, And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. The Bible is explicit in telling us that 11 years have passed since the original promise. Look to the very next verse now in Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. 13. 13 years after Ishmael was born. 13 more years of waiting. But now, 24 years after God's first promise to Abram, The fullness of time in relation to God's plan for Abram had come. Let this land on us. God had a plan to use Abram for his glory. God made a promise to Abram. God told Abram he would be blessed. God told Abram that he would be a blessing to others. God gave Abram a promise, but not a timeline. God gave Abram a promise but not the detail of how he was going to fulfill that promise. Ten years after the original promise, Abram and Sarai intervened in the timeline and the method, but it did not produce the fulfillment of God's promise. Thirteen years after Ishmael, God returned to reassure Abram of the promise. At this point, God renames Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. God is about to fulfill the promise made 24 years earlier. Turn a few chapters over to Genesis 18, verse 10. Genesis 18:10. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abram and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, "Am I After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall, in, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything... Too hard for the Lord. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. 24 years have passed since God made his original promise to Abram. I believe that we get a glimpse here of at least part of the reason why this took so long. This is not the only story in the Bible where we see God waiting to act until things are too late, by human standards, that is. God is glorified and his power is made manifest by giving a, by giving Sarah a son after it is impossible for her to have a son naturally. God promised to bless Abram by making him the father of many nations. God also blessed Abram by making him wait. How so, you may ask. So turn over to Romans 4, 18-23. That tells us why. Romans 4:18 to23. Romans 4:18 to23. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which, is, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. There is a blessing in waiting on God. At the heart of it, God's plan is perfect. Our plan is not. It is in the power of Almighty God that he could fix all problems very quickly, but he does not. Look at Paul's words in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. God's blessings come in the fullness of his time. It's good for all Christians because God has designed this for his glory and for our benefit. Abram's conception was a natural fulfillment of the promise through either Eleazar or Ishmael. God's design was for a supernatural fulfillment. For, for a son to be born from a woman with whom it was physically impossible for her to bear children. To accomplish this and to bring glory to himself, Abram needed to wait. So what are the blessings in God's design for us to wait on many things? I'm, cert- I'm certain that there are countless reasons why God has us to wait for so long to fulfill his promises to us. Most of which are known only to God. Today I'm focusing on God's plan for waiting as he works sanctification in our lives. As we saw in 2 Corinthians, affliction came to Paul for the purpose of making him rely on God rather than relying on themselves. With Abram, his waiting was for a blessing to come. In our lives, waiting is often in the context of resolving some conflict or problem. As Israel waited for Jesus to be born into the world... They were looking for him to save them from the effects of sin and evil in the world. It's no different for us today. As we wait for Jesus to return again, we are looking for him to give us rest from the problems, affliction, turmoil, and other issues that we're facing. Back when I was a young Christian, I was able to see a friend's father go through a significant trial in how he was being treated in his job. It was clear that he was suffering unjustly, And I asked my friend why he didn't fight back or seek to get out of the situation. The response was that my friend's father felt God calling him to stay in the situation and to trust God. And he did remain there for a long time. I watched his father contently endure that situation without complaining. When asked, yeah, he would acknowledge the trial and he appreciated our concern. Uh, But his demeanor remained that of a strong, gracious man trusting that the God who saved him from his sins is the same God who is who would sustain him through his trials. I know there was resolution eventually to that. And through it, the Father's faith in his Savior was strengthened. And many times throughout my life, his actions have encouraged me to trust God in trials and not to seek to run or to avoid the good effects of trials in my life. 1 Peter 2.18 to him who judges justly. The zeal of the Lord was evident in the life of my friend's father as he followed the example of Jesus and continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. My friend's father waited well, and we want to do the same thing. As I was putting together this message, I realized that there's a big temptation that I and many of us may face when we are waiting in hard situations. That temptation is to judge the quality of our waiting by our emotions. Waiting is hard and is filled with grief, fear, pain, anticipation, expectation, and many other feelings. Neither the presence nor absence of those feelings is necessarily a good indicator of our waiting. Even Jesus sweated drops of blood in the garden. Waiting comes with emotions and contrary to our Minnesota standards, good waiting does not necessarily good waiting does not require emotional indifference. Rather, insofar as your emotions drive you to call out to God and to reliance on the Savior, let those emotions do their sanctifying work in your life. Therefore, when you're waiting in hard times, don't strive for a stiff upper lip. That's man-made works that will profit you nothing because it seeks an inner strength that's simply not there. As you're looking at the attitude of your heart, pray that God would help you rely on and entrust yourself to the God who raises the dead. And if he can raise the dead, he certainly can help us in our trials. The irony is that this is something that we must fight for, but the only way we can fight is with the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Also, when you're waiting, don't expect your heart to be immediately content. Strive for that, but sanctification is not instantaneous. Growing in faith and trust takes time. Romans 5 verses 3 through 4 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our waiting is designed to be a process whereby day by day we grow a little more. Remember Abraham, who grew, faith, who grew strong in his faith over 24 years? When we are waiting with contentment in God, we are entrusting ourselves to the perfect God who judges justly. So does this mean that we are simply to wait and never take action? Does this mean that we shouldn't seek to resolve an injustice in our lives? Not at all. Not at all. We should absolutely seek to resolve conflicts and problems. These principles of reliance on God are about the attitude of our heart and should be sought as informers of our actions. Before we act and as we act, we are to remember that the zeal of the Lord is accomplishing his purposes in our lives and in the world. Contentment is a good indicator of the attitude of our hearts, and it helps us to know when to act or to be still. In either case, seeking reliance on God and entrusting ourselves to him through the power of the Holy Spirit will help guide us to either action or to silence. Let's move now from Father Abraham in the early part of the Old Testament to the very end of it. Please turn to the book of Malachi, chapter 4. As we reach the end of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, there have been 38 books ahead of it that tell us the story of how sin continues to bring brokenness and death into the world. Israel is waiting for a Savior to fix the problems in the world and in their individual lives. Israel has had many cycles of enjoying God's blessings of trusting and obedience, and then growing cold and falling away from obedience. Israel has been waiting a long time, but overall, they've not been waiting well. In the first three chapters of the book, Malachi reminds Israel of how they have grown cold in relation to their God and in obedience to Him. Even though God has made them many promises, they have grown weary in their waiting. As a result, they have been faithless to God, but He has remained faithful to them. In Malachi 4, these are the last words in the Old Testament Scripture. Malachi 4, verses 1-6. through For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. That day, the day that is coming, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Remember Abraham at 99 years old? God had made a promise 24 years earlier, and now he is back to tell Abraham that the fullness of time is here, and that Abram's son is coming soon. So it is with Israel here in Malachi. God's promises never changed while weariness set in with the hearers. Abraham was weary. Israel was weary. Abraham was told that the fulfillment of the promise is at hand, and about this time next year, Sarah shall have a son. In Malachi, Israel is being told that the fulfillment of the promised Savior is at hand. Chapter 4, verse 1 starts out with the wicked being consumed. We ask under our burden with external wickedness, How long, O Lord? Even today the wickedness of evil is a weight over us. Jesus has come and is here, but the wickedness has not yet been erased from the world. We feel this just as Israel did. God is still working in His timing to convert many who currently practice evil. For those, this time right now is grace for them. For us, we should remember that we were once sinners under the wrath of God and pray that others would join us in salvation, especially those who oppress us. Someday soon this oppression over us will end, but the punishment on them... Without Christ will be great, and it will be eternal. In the end, our rebellion against God will be dealt with, and the wicked will be consumed. For Israel, there's another 400 years of waiting between the Old and the New Testaments. In the fullness of God's timing, that was perfect. In our lives, God likely has more waiting in store for us. In the fullness of God's timing, that is perfect for us. But don't lose heart. As it says in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. To Israel, Malachi says in verse 2, "...but for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings." You should go out leaping like calves from the stall. The picture of the rising sun brings this picture of a new day with refreshing light and hope for a better future. The sun of righteousness brings a resolution to the problems of sin that bring us death. And we will go out leaping like calves from the stall. And if you don't know already what this looks like, I'll ask you to look at the screen. I think it's a really good picture of of the emotions that are tied up in this. That's the picture that God has for us in Malachi. I see Jake back there chuckling, so you know what that looks like, don't you? (laughs) We should be excited. We should be excited about our Savior is returning. This, This also is not a time for stoic emotional indifference. Let our joy flow and let our emotions flow. The Savior is coming and he is coming again. These are not meant to be the dry words of a prophet from the Old Testament. These are meant to be life-giving words from the Lord directly into our hearts. The zeal of the Lord is accomplishing his work in our hearts. Prepare to go out leaping like calves from the stall and do not lose heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for your promises. We know that even in the toughest of times, you have not forgotten us. We thank you that your plans are perfect. And Lord, I ask that as we go from here today, that you will hold us fast by the power of your shed blood and through the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Amen.